Today we'll continue in the study that I've been leading us through in the book of Daniel. And today we've come to chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 1 begins, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. As we consider this word that Daniel has shared with us, let's pray together. This is your word, Father. You've given it to us. Today, by the power of your Spirit, speak your word to us, that we may be built up and encouraged and strengthened for your glory and your honor. In Yeshua's name, amen. In the first year of Darius, this reminds us of Daniel chapter 6, which is also in the first year of Darius. And so shortly after that time, it seems that, that Daniel had this encounter with God that he records for us here, that his, his thinking was, was stimulated, that the circumstances of his life were at work to stimulate his thinking and his life in the Lord. The, the year is probably about 539 or 538 BCE. So this chapter was written about 2,500 years ago, a little more than that. And as I ponder on the fact that God has preserved his word for us, and as he has shared the insights of this chapter with us, I thank God that this chapter, these insights, that what Daniel had to say, what God said through him, what the Spirit of God prompted him to write has been encouraging believers for 2,500 years and longer. That, I feel, stirs up praise for our great God who cares so much about us. As we, we look at this passage, Daniel understood something Daniel understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, as we go through this passage, we learn a lot about Daniel as well as learning a lot about God. From this text, we learn that Daniel was a man of Scripture. He had the prophecies of Jeremiah. Somehow, the word of the Lord through Jeremiah had reached Daniel. Jeremiah's ministry had, had ended perhaps 50 years earlier, maybe 40 years earlier. And God had prompted Jeremiah to write all of his prophecies in a book. And that was available. And later on in this text, we'll see that Daniel also refers to the law of Moses. And so it's reasonable to assume that Daniel had copies, at least some, of the scriptures and that he was soaking in them 
And as a result of soaking in the scriptures, Daniel came to understand part of God's timetable from the prophet Jeremiah. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 25 and read what Daniel read. In Jeremiah chapter 25, let's let's begin reading in verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. And then let's turn to chapter 29. And let's begin reading in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Can you imagine? Daniel has been in the nation of Babylon, away from Jerusalem, away from his home country, away from the land of Israel, for almost 70 years. And then he reads that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what began to stir in his soul? The longing that that must have created in him to see the promises of God and to realize he had gone into captivity at 605. And here we are at about 539. So, if he began to calculate that, he would certainly begin to see and realize the time is almost over. And the result of that was it stimulated a holy passion within him. It, it turned his heart towards the Father and it turned his heart towards prayer. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3, it says that then... Daniel, then I, Daniel, set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel was so stirred that he was motivated to pray. Now, we know that Daniel was already a man of prayer. We had, have seen in chapter 2 where he and his three friends 
were faced with imminent death. They were faced with a, an enigma, with a mystery that they could not comprehend or figure out on their own. And they went to God in prayer, and in the middle of the night, God revealed the mystery. He revealed the king's dream and the interpretation of it, and so spared their lives. And then later in Daniel chapter 6, we saw that the king falsely, foolishly made a law that nobody could pray to anyone but himself for a 30-day period. And Daniel looked at that law, and he looked at the living God, and it says in the scriptures that he continued to turn his face and pray towards Jerusalem three times a day, thanking God and asking God for help. And as a result, he was sentenced to death, although reluctantly by this king who realized he'd made a foolish law and God rescued Daniel. And I I think Daniel, as a, a man of prayer, Daniel was a man in love with God and was so in love with God that he would rather pray than go on living because prayer had become his vital breath. So Daniel, in this moment, sees the promise of God in Scripture and is stirred to seek the face of God, to turn face to face with God. Scripture says that Moses knew God face to face. And when Moses spent time with God, there was a holy glow on his face, a transformation that began to happen. Daniel was face to face with the Lord God. And he sought him with intensity. The fasting and the sackcloth and the ashes shows the intensity with which Daniel sought the Lord. He was serious, fasting. He laid aside food for the sake of focus. Sackcloth and ashes indicated his humility. And he prayed to the Lord God and made confession to him. There are many things that will stir you and I to prayer. Perhaps the most important thing that stirs you and I to prayer is the scriptures. And over and over when I see in scripture the prayers of God's people, and when I see the character of God, even more importantly, when I see the character of God and the ways of God in scripture, I am stirred to pray. And I pray frequently that God according to Psalm 119, would incline my heart to his testimonies. And I pray that for you as a congregation, that together our hearts would be inclined to God's word daily and frequently throughout the day. But there are other things that stir us to prayer. You remember Isaiah. What was it that stirred him to prayer? It was the death of a long, good king, a long lived good king, Uzziah, who had reigned for probably 52 years. And in that moment when he passed away, Isaiah went into the place of prayer and had a wonderful encounter with God. Circumstances are an appropriate stimulus to prayer as well. The variety of things that happen to our life, to us in our lives, are are 
All of them, God's ways of stirring us to talk to him about everything. Shaul was in such contact with God that he could tell us and counsel us, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're always mumbling under our breath, but it means that it's, it's like we're walking with God and God's right next to us, like our best friend or our mate. We're walking together all the time and at any moment we can talk to each other about anything. Well, look at that beautiful flower. Whoa, did you see that person run that red light? Whatever it is, you and I can converse with God. The circumstances of life stir us and draw us into conversation with God. So Daniel was stirred by the scriptures, by the promises of God, and he turned his face towards God. A man of of prayer, a man who is in relationship with God. And it's important for us to remember always that prayer is not a duty and not so much an activity as it is a relationship. Because prayer is simply you and I conversing with the living God and He conversing with us. And so in verse 4, Daniel begins his prayer. And he prays to the Lord, my God, a personal relationship. It is interesting to note in verse 4, Lord is that covenant name for God. I am who I am. This is the only chapter in Daniel where Daniel uses that name for God. And he uses it seven times. The Lord The God who is the keeper of a covenant. The God who is self-existent, self-sustaining. The God who is relational and faithful and true. My God, the creator of the universe. He approaches this God face to face. And he says, O Lord, Adonai, sovereign, great and awesome God. His attention is to this glorious God that he knows, who keeps his covenant and mercy, hesed, loving kindness, unmerited favor, God's grace toward us, steadfast love, covenant love, who keeps his covenant and his mercy, his steadfast love with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. God is faithful. God is reliable. God is trustworthy. God wants us in this relationship with himself. And it is a relationship that will always involve us walking in fellowship with him, walking in his commands. And then Daniel begins to turn to what has touched him most deeply. In verse 5, he begins to delve into the the grief, the conviction that God has brought to his heart through the scriptures. We have sinned. Sometimes that's a hard thing for us to say. And sometimes it's something that we can say with our lips and it's not really coming out of our heart. But with Daniel, Daniel shows us the blend that it came out of his lips because it was already in his heart. We have sinned. We have missed the way. 
We have gone the wrong way. We have committed iniquity. We have become bent and twisted. We have twisted reality. We have twisted twisted what is right and wrong. We have twisted what is light and what is dark. We have done wickedly. We have rebelled. We have departed from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. We have not listened. We have not heard. We have closed our ears. And as a result, we have also turned our lives from doing what you've said. We've heard perhaps words, but we have not been touched by what your servants, the prophets, have said, who have spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. The contrast between the Lord and us, between the Lord and Daniel. In verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. We have sinned against you. Sin takes on a whole different meaning when we realize we are not just violating a principle. We are actually grieving a person. This touched Daniel's heart that not only his people, but he himself had done these things. Daniel is one of the few men in Scripture where as far as I can tell, there's never a negative thing said about him. And yet Daniel is a man just like you and I. He's a man who has fallen, broken. He has sinned just like you and I. And he needs forgiveness just like you and I. And he approaches God confessing his sin and the sin of his people. In verse 9, again the contrast. To the Lord our God belong mercy. This is really the word mercy. And forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways and his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us that the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people 
out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. Again, the evidence we see, the law of Moses, the exodus from Egypt. Daniel was a man soaked in the scriptures. Daniel knew what God had said. God had said, if you will follow me, and that following me is always rooted in love and faith, if you will follow me, these blessings, life will be yours as our brother Steve has pointed out to us. And if you turn away, these curses will be upon you. God is not being mean. God is not being harsh. Any parent does the exact same thing. And why? Because a parent loves their children. If the stove is hot... It's not a mean thing for me to say, don't touch the stove. It's a mercy. It's a kindness. It's a goodness. In the same way, when God says, this is the way to live life, and if you turn from that, disaster will follow. Get the picture. God is saying that out of love. It is God's word that is true. And our own thinking that is twisted. And when we turn to the word of God as as Daniel has done, we see that God is simply being faithful to his word when he brought this judgment upon his people. And, And realize that, do you remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah began preaching the word probably in 625. His ministry lasted for 40 plus years. And before that, witness after witness, God gave to his people God's patience, God's long suffering, speaking over and over and over again that people might turn. And when it when it didn't happen, in verse 14, the disaster God kept in mind and brought it upon us. As I was reading this, I thought of Jonah. Jonah called to preach the good news to Nineveh. And at first he runs away and he knows the wickedness of this people and he knows the wonderful character of God and he knows what's coming and he turns away and there's no excuse for that. But God in his mercy deals with Jonah and Jonah is persuaded to turn around and go to Nineveh. Perhaps with a few acid burns from being partially digested in the fish. And maybe that was what God used to validate his testimony. But he, he spoke the word of the Lord. He traveled through that great city. It took three days to get through it. He was preaching 40 more days and judgment will come. And what does the scripture say in Jonah chapter 3? It says that from the very top from the very king of the city to the every person, even to the animals, everybody humbled themselves before the Lord, confessed their sins, and the king himself took off his royal robes, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And then, it's one of those strange words, 
that sometimes confuses people depending on the translation because in certain translations it says then God repented of the evil he was or the judgment that he was going to bring or God changed his mind now let let's be clear God is not fickle what God is is true to his word if you turn i will have mercy and that's exactly what happened and that that word actually it's a beautiful word relented it means that god breathed a sigh of relief it's almost like god was holding his breath will they turn and when they did i'm so glad i don't have to bring judgment on them at this time that is the heart of god he's ready to put the disaster aside he's ready to bring his mercy and his grace but when a person a people is persistent 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 in turning against god then god keeps the disaster in mind and eventually he brings it upon us Daniel acknowledged that that God was absolutely righteous in what he did that God was absolutely just I once heard of a university professor who was marking exams and he gave a very clear statement that that the the exam the assignments are due on this day and if you don't turn it in then you get this kind of mark you get a failing mark certain people didn't do the assignment they came in please please have mercy on us and the person said okay i'll have mercy and overlooked it it happened the second time and fewer people came in then when it happened the third time the professor marked everyone with a failure and those who came in they said that's not just and the professor said are you sure you want justice because if you want justice i'll give you an f all three times you see god is merciful god is merciful to us and it is his mercy that restrains his judgment and we don't want god's judgment We want God's mercy, don't we? But we are at the same time glad that God is also thoroughly and completely righteous. You see the reality is if God kept track of sins, who of us could stand? No one. And is God obligated to save anyone? No. As soon as Adam and Eve made that fateful choice, God could have written them off. It was his right to do so, but it was not his character. It was God's character to show mercy, and it was God's character to provide redemption. And so Daniel acknowledges the righteousness of God in bringing the judgment and acknowledges that, that they have done wickedly. In verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our for our sins 
and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now it's getting to the very core of what's on Daniel's heart. Daniel's heart, we see, is in sync with the living God because Daniel begins to express his real concern. It's for Jerusalem. It's for the holy mountain. It's for genuine worship. It's for God's people. It's for God's name. Now, therefore, verse 17, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. The highest desire, concern that we have, that God puts in us, is the concern for God. If life is in God, then how important it is for everyone to have an accurate picture of who God is. If all of life is about God, if the only place for you and I to be happy is in God, in relationship and fellowship with Him, then how important it is for God to be seen as God. That you and I have the privilege of magnifying God in the sense that not, we're not making God bigger, but we're actually accurately picturing how great and awesome God is accurately picturing the blend in him of love and mercy and righteousness and justice blended together perfectly that he is faithful and true that he is personal and living then in verse 19 it's as if Daniel has been so caught up in prayer that he he is just so caught up that he can hardly speak oh lord Hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. O God, act for the glory and honor of your name. Restore your city, restore your people. Magnify your name. Don't delay any longer. And then verse 20, while I was still speaking, while I was still praying, while I was still confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, while I was still presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was still speaking in prayer, something happens. Our God is here today. Our God is with us throughout the week. Whenever we call on our God, he is listening. Listen to what he says. This man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked to me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand 
When did the answer come? At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. At the beginning of his prayer, God had an answer coming and sent an angel servant messenger to bring it to Daniel. I don't know how long the delay was, but the reality is as soon as God's kids start talking, God hears and starts answering, regardless of how long it takes the answer to get here. God answers our prayers always, one way or another. God answers our prayers. He may say, now that's not quite what I want you to pray. Let's adjust it a little bit. Or he may say, maybe not just now, maybe later. Or he may say, no, that's not good for you. Or he may say, yes, here it is. God always answers our prayers one way or another when we pray to him with a full, accurate heart in Yeshua. The command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. How rich is that? Daniel, you are greatly beloved. After all of this conviction that has come upon Daniel, God says, you are greatly beloved. Wouldn't that be glorious to hear that statement? The reality is, brothers and sisters in the Lord, God says that about you. He says in Yeshua, you and I are accepted in the beloved. In Yeshua, we have complete redemption. We have a glorious relationship. We are beloved by the Father through Yeshua for Yeshua's sake. In spite of our broken fallenness, our sin, the ways we grieve God, Yeshua has paid it all and we are beloved and God will respond and listen to our prayers. And I again see how wonderful it is to see what God has done in Daniel's life. Daniel has been in exile these almost 70 years at the end of verse 21. And what what is Daniel's way of keeping time? About the time of the evening sacrifice, he's still on temple time. He's still keeping track of worship time, living in the atmosphere of God in a foreign nation. And the answer has come. And the answer is a profound revelation that is something that you and I will continue to mull over long after I finish talking today. Seventy sevens or weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering 
And on the wing of the abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate or the desolator. This is one of the most glorious revelations in all of Scripture. Basically, we have the rest of world history right here. From the moment that the, the revelation was given to Daniel until the end of time as we know it, it seems to me, that's what this revelation covers. And the focus of it is verse 24. There are six statements that speak of what God will do. What God is accomplishing in world history. And my conviction is that every one of these statements is fulfilled in Yeshua. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Every Shabbat we read, recite Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did he sit down? There was nothing else to do. It was done. When he was on that cross, on that execution stake, Yeshua at the end of it said, it is finished. It is finished. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. By the blood of bulls and goats and calves, there is not salvation. But with Yeshua's own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Transgression was paid for completely. Sins covered thoroughly. Reconciliation made so that we have peace with God through Yeshua. John, writing in the book of Revelation, says that Yeshua's, the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. All vision and prophecy is wrapped up in Yeshua. God's intention is that Yeshua would be preeminent in everything. God is pulling every strand of the universe together under Yeshua. Yeshua is now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to put everything under His feet, which the Father is doing, such that one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that Yeshua is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is what this text is all about. That is what this reveals. The timetable reveals the Messiah's come will be cut off. The timing is impeccable according to the word of the Lord. 
And the end will come and God will deal with the desolator and those who ravage his people. And Yeshua will be seen, Lord of lords, King of kings. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for Yeshua. Thank you for our Messiah. Thank you that in him is life and righteousness and hope and peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy. Thank you that you have taken me, a sinner, and had mercy through Yeshua. And you have taken all my sin upon yourself and placed it on Yeshua and placed on me your righteousness. Thank you that the good work you have begun in me you will carry on to completion and you will do that for everyone here who belongs to Yeshua. That we are accepted in the beloved. Thank you for a complete salvation. Nothing to add to it. That we would simply, by faith, live it out and enjoy the benefits and fruits of it by the power of your Spirit. Oh, Father, may it be so. May your name be honored through our lives until Yeshua comes.